Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Jesus, thank you uh, for this faith family that you're knitting our hearts together, God, that we together um, want to be used by you for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we all have individual ministries, we all have individual callings, but at the same time, as we read on Sunday, we are one flock under one shepherd, and that is you, Jesus Christ. And so we want to be available to you, we want to be surrendered to your will, and uh, we want to honor and glorify you with all that we say and think and do, Father. And so teach us your ways. Lord, as we study the doctrine of the resurrection, help us to understand these things, that our, our faith may be on a firmer foundation than, than it is already, Lord. But uh, we are so grateful for the words of Paul and this letter of correction and encouragement, Lord. I pray that we would learn from it, Father, that, uh, again, we would look more like you. Uh, help me to rightly divide your word tonight, God. <coughs> may we honor you. May I honor you uh, in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so <clears throat> Paul has been writing this letter of correction to the Corinthian church, and, and we said he's kind of bringing it in for a landing. Um, 16 is the last chapter. And um, he's, he's saving the home run ball, if you would, for the, really the last thought, the, the doctrine of resurrection, an, an essential doctrine to Christianity Without the resurrection, we have no Christianity. We need to understand that. We have no faith. We have nothing to stand on. And really, that's what we studied last week. That's exactly what Paul was saying. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ himself is not risen. Then the, those that have died have not risen. Then we who have faith, uh, well, well, Paul goes on to say, then we as those who have shared our faith lied to you. And then we who have faith have faith in nothing, and we above all men are to be pitied the most. If there is no resurrection, we have no Christianity. And so this doctrine is essential to understand exactly what has happened. And that we, 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 we got into the idea last week of, of the compare and contrast between the first Adam, Adam that, that birthed man, if you would, the one that, that sinned in the garden, the one that introduced sin into our lives, and then the, the last Adam is what Paul would call him in Romans, that being Jesus Christ, and how he is, remember this term from last week, he is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Remember that? The first fruits are the idea that they would have the feast in the, uh, what was it, shortly after Passover, uh, three days after Passover, they would have a feast called the, the Feast of first fruits, where they would offer the, the first fruits of their harvest. They would go and begin the harvest, and then they would take the very first things that they gleaned and, and present them to God through the Levitical tribe and, and uh, the priests, if you would, present their, their gifts to God. And that was the first fruits, and their hope would be then the rest of their crop, the rest of their, their harvest, would be plentiful. Uh, and it would be like the, that of the first fruits, okay? And what's very, what's very interesting is if you look at that, how, I love how Paul says Jesus is our first fruits. 
And the day they celebrated the Feast of the First Fruits is three days after the Passover. It's, a, it's the first day, uh, it's on the first day of the week after the Sabbath of the Passover. Well, that's exactly the day Jesus rose from the grave. First day of the week after the Passover, after the Sabbath, after the Passover. Okay? And so that's where we're at. And now we're going to pick it up in verse 35. You with me? And really what Paul is going to now do is answer the question, well, if that's the case, if we believe in the resurrection, if that is what we have to look forward to, why do we die? Should the Lord tarry? We believe in the rapture, of course. But if, if we were to continue on with our lives, we will reach the day that is our last. And we will pass from this life to the next. Why does that happen to Christians? How come they don't just, once they're saved, they move on? And, and Paul really kind of looks at this and, 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 says, and gives the answer. So picking up in 35, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And therein lies the concept. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. He's saying, how are the, the, the question he's answering, how are the dead raised up? Because remember, a, a, a false teaching had crept in that there was no resurrection of the dead. Very interestingly, the Corinthian church believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't have an issue with Jesus rising from the dead, but they believed that nobody else would. And Paul's like, what's the point in that? No, he's our first fruits. The rest of the harvest is coming. You and I are the rest of that part of the harvest, and we will follow in the likeness of the first fruits. We will follow in the example of Jesus. And then, so the next logical question is, well, then how does that happen? How are the dead raised up? I like that Paul calls him a foolish one. He, hey, think your faith through. Spend some time contemplating these things. Um, don't be foolish about your faith. Have a solid understanding of what you believe. And then he goes to the example of sowing and reaping. He goes to the example that we get in agriculture, horticulture. Okay, Don't know about you. I don't have a green thumb anywhere near me. Well, I do because I'm married to one, but I, I don't have one at all. I, I am not the plant guy. I am not. Once a year, my, my perennial, is that the right word? Annual. My annual, see, I have no idea. My annual gift to my wife on Mother's Day is that we do something. I spend the day working to get her gardens ready or to plant or build new garden boxes or, or something along those lines. That's what she gets and that gets me out of buying jewelry, which is cool. And so that, she would prefer me to play in the dirt, and that's what I do. I am, when it comes to that, I am a strong back and a weak mind. I have not the faintest idea, okay? So to head forward in this, I, I'm trusting on the commentators that have explained this to me, this idea of sowing and reaping. Uh, and that's where he goes for his explanation of the resurrection. He's going to use the natural agricultural process to demonstrate what the resurrection is. Look at verse 37. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, 
perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. And so he wants us to look now into the dirt, if you would, and take a look at what happens when you plant. Like I said, this is, was new for me, not new this time, but I, when, when I first came across this text, I, had to, I didn't understand what, how sowing and reaping worked. The best example, the perfect example that I can think of is actually Chuck Smith's. I like it a lot. And what he, the, the example that he gave is he, he brought in a tulip bulb. Okay? He brought in a tulip bulb. And think about that for a second. If you think about the tulip bulb, it's just a little brown ball. Looks a lot like the dirt it's being planted in. Kind of ugly. Kind of gross. Maybe some little spiny things sticking, sticking out of it. Maybe some you know, dried skin stuff sticking off of it. Not real pretty, but it's a tulip, isn't it? Yes, it's a tulip. That's what you plant into the ground. That dies, that splits, that is planted into the ground. That ugly thing is planted into the ground, and out of it comes a beautiful flower. Okay? That's the picture of a resurrection, okay? We sow into the ground this ugly, gross, skin falling off, dirty body. We sow that into the ground. And then through the power of the resurrection, through what Jesus has done on our behalf, he births in us something new, something wonderful, something beautiful, something glorious. Yet it's still a body. The tulip bulb is still a tulip. The tulip flower is still a tulip. So is true with the resurrection. People ask, am I going to be able to recognize my friends when we get to heaven? Yes, you will. They, we will look relatively the same, I believe. We won't have the, the, the corruption of our bodies will not be evident. Okay? But that's, that's a great picture. That's the way I picture it. And, so, and that, he uses wheat. You know, and what you sow, you do not sow that body. You don't sow the wheat stalk. You sow this, the grain. That splits uh, and then becomes its own body. He says in 39, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. That would fit with the creation story given to us in Genesis that uh, we are each made in accordance with our own kind. Those of you that watched the debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye, that was a strong word that Ken would use, that they are made to, in the, well, we, we are made in our own kind, in our own kind. And that's what he's saying here. We have different types of flesh, flesh of men, flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. And then he goes on to the heavens even and talks of those bodies. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of a celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Both are beautiful, aren't they? Very, very different though. And we know, of course, that the moon is a reflection of the sun. You know, the light that from the moon is a reflection from the sun. But... Each has its own beauty, but different. Another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. How true is that? We, as you go up and look at the, the, the heavens outside, if, you, if we were to 
get out of the city because it's harder to see in the city on a clear night to us, to the naked eye, for the most part, stars look about the same. I mean, it's a little tiny dot of light, and there, there's not a whole lot of distinction, maybe in size to some minute degree. But you go to the Hubble telescope, and you look at you know, one star versus another, and then you start looking at one nebula versus another, and they are very, very different. Each has its own body, completely different. That speaks to the, the, the beauty, the, the splendor, the glory of our God. The, the majesty of our God, that he would take time to, to create things that we have yet to discover. That, I mean, we, what was it? Um, let's say a thousand years ago, so I don't know exact timeline, so don't quote me on this. We thought maybe in the night sky there was about 3,000 stars. Uh, the, the first ones, the first people counted them. 1500s maybe, somewhere in there, somewhere around 3,000, 4,000 stars could be seen in the night sky. Then they start developing you know, telescopes and we discover that, well, no, there's closer to 100 million stars in our galaxy. Oh, and then there's 100 billion different galaxies, each with 100 million, 100 billion stars in them. And our Creator God knows each one of them by name. We, we just now are discovering these, these far out reaches of, of space and how, how wonderful they are. He has always known of them and he knows even beyond what we can see at this point. That speaks to his majesty, that speaks to his glory and how each one differs from the other. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So let's pause there for a minute. He goes through a comparison for a little bit in those verses. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Think back to the, the example of the tulip and, and the difference between the two. And that's, that's the best way I can picture it. I don't know if you have another example maybe you have heard before. But it's sown in dishonor. Imagine the tulip bulb. There's not a whole lot of beauty in a tulip bulb. I, maybe I'm biased in my opinion, but I don't see, as I look at a brown thing that may be you know, mistaken for a clump of dirt, there's not a whole lot of beauty there. It's sown in dishonor, not, not very well, but you plant that in the ground, it's raised in glory, and it, it truly does become something beautiful. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural, it's raised a spiritual. There's this compare and contrast. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. God breathed life into Adam, raised him up from the dust of the earth, created him, breathed life into him, and he became a living being. The last Adam, through the powers of the resurrection, and we studied this on Sunday, who raised Jesus from the dead? He did. 
That's what we talked about. He, he raised himself from the dead. I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take it up again. Ah, oh, those words are so phenomenal, because I can't do that. I barely have the power to lay my, my body down at the end of the day. <laughs> it's all I can do to fall into bed. God said, no, I can, I can lay my life down to the point of death, and then when I'm dead, I have the power to take it up again. And so there's this compare and contrast between the natural body and the spiritual body. I don't know if you guys geek out about what's going to happen when we get there, but I kind of do, and I look forward to how, what all this is going to look like. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth, and there's all kinds of questions about what that's like. What kind of superpowers are we going to have? I don't know if you would want to call them superpowers, but there are some indications that we may have something that would seem supernatural to us, at least, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But understand this picture. It's going to be far grander, far greater, far more majestic than we are living in now. Okay? That's the, the, the compare and contrast that he is trying to create is that what we have to look forward to in the resurrection, so much better. So much better. Let's keep reading. However, verse 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. That makes sense, right? We live the natural life now. We place our faith in Christ within that natural life, and from that we reap the spiritual life. We get to be with him. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Yeah. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Grasp that concept, people. You and I, as Adam was made of dust, we are descendants of Adam, so too we are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, who is what? He is spiritual, right? He has been resurrected, so too shall we be. And as we have been born in the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Okay, we can look at, then we see how we reap what, what Adam sowed in that we experience corruption in our flesh. Do you experience corruption in your flesh? Yes, we all do, right? It, as we get older, things don't work as well. As we rise up in the morning after a hard day of labor, it's hard to move. Yes, that's the corruption of the flesh. That's the way it goes. It's deteriorating. Why? Because it's headed toward failure. That's what Adam brought into this. That's what we reap as we are descendants of Adam but then it also says, 49, we also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, as we have um, believed in what he has done for us on the cross, defeating sin and death and resurrecting to life, then we too shall, what does it say, uh, bear the image of the heavenly man. Take a look, if you've got a little while to study at some point this week, at the resurrected Jesus after he's resurrected and the things that he does at the end of Matthew, you know, before he ascends into heaven, that's the resurrected body of Jesus. 
okay? We can take our cues from those examples as we look at the as we look at them. Uh, where were we? 50? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Does that make sense? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. So he's saying that you have to go through this process of the resurrection. You have to have this flesh, the descendant of Adam, die before you can enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Can you imagine living for eternity the way you feel right now? Would you want to do that? Would you want to live forever feeling as bad as most of us do in this room? No. So God's grace is he takes care of it. He, he, he provides for us an incorruptible body, a body that won't degenerate, a body that won't deteriorate. We won't wake up sore. We won't wake up tired. The, the rest that we'll have, it will be completely sufficient. Everything that we will need, nothing will ever, ever deteriorate. That's, right. Amen. That's the incorruptible seed. That's the, 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 the image of the, of the resurrection. What does he say? The image of the heavenly man. Corruption doesn't inherit incorruption. He do, it's interesting. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's this body. This body cannot um, inherit the kingdom of God. But I also want to say, our new bodies will be physical. Do we understand that? The bodies that we'll receive, we're not just becoming some ethereal spiritual beings. We will have a physical body. Why? Because we're in going to be, um, back to 40, 49, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. Jesus, in the resurrection, it's very interesting, in the resurrection, resurrected body, Jesus isn't called flesh and blood anymore. He's called flesh and bone. Slight distinction. But there is enough of a distinction, at least to God, that there is a difference there. But it is still very physical. He asks Thomas, right? Hey, you didn't believe in me. Why don't you come and put your hand in my side? He didn't say, come reach through me because I'm a spiritual being and I'm, I'm not actually in the physical. He put, put your hands in the, in the nail prints in my hand. Put your finger there. Jesus was actually physical. And yet, I mean, he, he sat down to eat a meal. He ate fish with them spiritual can't do that, at least as far as I know. I mean, I watched Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> if Jesus had a physical body, and yet there were some things that he did that were kind of weird to you and I, huh? He shows up in a room that the doors and windows are closed, that are locked. Are we going to be able to do that? We're going to bear the image of him. I, 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 I'm kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, it's locked. No problem. <laughs> Just go on in. Somebody, years and years ago, um, Mark Darling was one, one, a great teacher that I experienced just for a weekend, but changed my life dramatically. Fantastic teacher. 
man of God, wonderful knowledge of the Bible. And he said something. I listened to, I got his tapes from this little weekend that I went to, and I bet I listened to his tapes 300 times. And he was talking about our resurrected bodies, and he, he said at one point, and it was just a little tease, and I never got to ask him about it. But he was like, I think, he said, I think we'll be able to zap ourselves from place to place, you know, and just show up in, in different, because that's what Jesus did. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd like to be home. <laughs> I don't know. Does it really matter? No. We're going to be with Jesus. That's all that matters. And great, a great thing will be that our bodies will be incorruptible. Let's, everything else, speculation. Take that. Our bodies, our new bodies will be incorruptible. They will never degenerate. They will never deteriorate. They will never <coughs> fail. And we can trust in that. He says in 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And see, now you see why I picked that song. We sang that last week, We Shall Be Changed. Because that's where I was hoping to get to last week. It just didn't, didn't happen. But in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, what's he speaking of? Of course, he's speaking of the rapture there. But there is a day coming. I go to prepare a place for you, he said, that where I am, there you may also be. And there's a day coming when he will come to get his bride. The, the, the picture of a, a bride and, his, and her bridegroom and how it relates to the relationship between Christ and the church is just such an awesome study. But as in the Jewish culture in those days, the, if you were betrothed to one, uh, you were, your wedding day would wait until you were prepared to have your bride in your home. And what that meant was as you were betrothed, the, the wife-to-be the, the, the wife would live with the mom and dad, would live where she had lived, while the bridegroom would go and prepare a place. He would build a house. He would, he would get that ready. And when that was all prepared, then he would go and get his bride. And they would be married. And he would bring her to the new location. And Jesus said, I, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to, uh, and that where I am, I want to bring you back with me. But but you can't come the way that you are because you're in, you're, you're, you're in a corruptible body. And so I have to make a way, and the, the way that I make that happen is through the power of the resurrection that I, I, I give to you what you will need for all of eternity, an incorruptible body is what he says. And, the, and so there is a day coming when he may come to take his bride away. That could be today. It could be tomorrow. We, don't, we believe that this stage is set that there is nothing else that needs to happen in order for Christ to return. Israel is a nation, those kinds of things. It's definitely not my, eschatology is not my strong suit. It's something I want to improve in. But as I, I can say that, that we as a church believe that there is nothing yet that needs to happen in order for Christ to return. The prophecies have been fulfilled to the point that we are waiting for his return. So who knows if we'll get to see the score of the Northwestern game tonight. Art. <laughs> but at the same time, it could be another thousand years. 
will we be here? No. Because no. we've got corruptible bodies that we need to get rid of. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. That sounds so good. And this mortal must put on immortality. I grew up playing Mortal Kombat video games, those, those, those graphic fighting games. And the thing that every one of those games you strive for is immortality. That's, that's the end goal of all these games is that you would be immortal. And in Christ we have that. We have yet to put it on. So when the corruptible has put on the incorruption and this mortal has put on the immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And all those things shall pass away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And the former things shall all pass away. Death, the law, all gone. The sting of death is sin. You and I, because we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, we have the sting of death upon us. And yet it is removed when we believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, when that is established in our lives, when we understand that we are going to pass the mortal and put on immortality, that we're going to see this corruptible body go and put on the incorruption, then we can say, death, where's your sting? When we have the, uh, a firm foundation of the doctrine of resurrection, death is nothing to be afraid of anymore. Why? Because it's not the end of the road. I've said this a few times. Levi Lesko, that's the first person I heard it from. I love it. Death for us is not the end of the road. It's a bend in the road. It's a bend in the road. We pass. We're at, at that moment of death, all we are doing is going from the tulip bulb to the tulip. We're, we're shedding that corruptible and taking on the incorruptible. I believe it will be in the twinkling of an eye, as it says. It, it will be, we take our last breath here, and we take our first breath there. And it'll, that'll be the way it appears to us. And rightfully so, he says at the end of the chapter, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Don't let this doctrine be changed is what he's saying. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Continue to press on is how he closes out the chapter because there's a day coming when we'll break through the dirt and see the glory of the Lord. I can't wait for that. I can't. Wait for that day. Until then, I want to be faithful as he encourages. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. You're working on pressing through that dirt. And, 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 and realize, I, ho I think you get it. I think you get it. Why does he say thanks be to God? How much do you have to do with going from the corruptible to the incorruptible? 
Not a thing. That's all His grace. That's all His grace that He would give us that. So thanks be to God. Great way to finish the chapter. We'll finish up the book next week, and then we'll move into 2 Corinthians, okay? Why don't we stand? Let's close in prayer. Yes, Lord, thanks be to you, the giver of life, the giver of the gift, the one who has um, allowed us to sow the corruptible and reap the incorruptible, Lord. What a joy. So much to look forward to, God. There's so many questions and so many things I'm excited about and and what what we can do and what we can't do. I, I don't know, but I know what we will do. We'll bring you praise, and we'll bring you glory, and we'll bring you honor for 10,000 years and then forevermore. Glory and praise be given to you. I join with our brother Paul in saying thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.